In the office of her boss, Howard Graves, Secretary Lauren Kite cries as she packs up the office. Her co-worker Jane enters, and seeing Lauren upset offers comfort. Lauren can't seem to get past the death of her boss and how it happened. She's not known a lot of people who have died, and never one that had committed suicide. Jane gives Lauren her paycheck, encourages her to go home, and leaves her alone in the office. Lauren lingers for a few moments and turns for the door to leave. At that moment, an object on Howard's desk suddenly moves on its own. Lauren turns and notices that the object that moved was a glass desk plaque that reads, One day today is worth two tomorrows, a quote by Benjamin Franklin. Lauren walks over and picks up the plaque, holds it to her chest affectionately, and leaves the office of Howard Graves. Moments later, Lauren deposits her check in an ATM when the unthinkable happens. Perhaps she was so focused on her grief, not realizing her surroundings, she didn't see the men when they attacked. They grabbed her and pulled her into a dark alley as she screams in horror. Two hours later, a young homeless couple search for a place to sleep. They decide on a fire escape in a dark alley. As they attempt to climb the fire escape ladder, two large objects fall from the darkness without warning. The homeless couple screams and flee the scene. It's two dead bodies, the two men who attacked Lauren Kite. This is The X-Files Season 1, Episode 6, Shadows, and you're listening to the Tape Store Podcast. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Toby. And this is Brooke. We were made in the 80s. And played in the 90s. And we've already said this is the Tape Store Podcast. So, <laughs> well, we are here to talk about another X-File. So, yes. it's been quite a while. It's been too long. It's been too long. You know, the thing about this show, and I, I know I've mentioned it when we've done past episodes uh, on the X-Files, is that it's been so long since I've seen a lot of these early episodes. I mean, some of these I haven't seen since high school. Oh, yeah. So watching them now, it, it is like watching them for the first time. I don't. I certainly don't remember a lot of this stuff. Right. Like, I'll, I'll remember traces of things as I'm watching it. Like, yeah. oh, okay, but like, I, I, I have to watch the whole thing to know right. what the story is. But and, I, I, and I love that. Yeah, and I, of course, remember the, the spirit of the show, the overall narrative, but getting into these individual episodes as an adult, it just really just creates this new appreciation. I've always loved this show, but again, it's so awesome to feel like I'm watching my most favorite show for the first time. So that, and that was what it was like watching this particular episode, right. which is called Shadows, which is season one, episode six. And it is a monster of the week. Yay. And just to, you know, fill you guys in on, you know, maybe if, if you're not quite sure what that means for an X-Files episode, you should know. <laughs> um, a Monster of the Week episode is when Mulder and Scully are doing something outside of the overarching story arc, which I call the truth story arc. Right. Or it's also called, I think, the mythology story arc. I don't, I just call it the truth. Right. Because. The search for the truth, because it's, they, they both have it, even though there are, there are different things driving each of them. Absolutely. You know, the, the truth story arc is the overarching arc regarding Mulder's quest for the truth about uh, life outside of Earth, what happened to his sister Samantha, right. how the government is involved in that as far as keeping that information away from the public. But then, of course, there's other episodes that are mixed into the the X-Files. Right. And it's anthology. kind of just like a, this is what a day in the life of the X-Files is right. like. These isolated, paranormal, right. extraordinary incidents. And they're, and they're important to the narrative because it shows the nature of their work. Yes. And they are by far my favorite. I love the truth story arc, but the monster of the week, I have just, they're so much fun. Yeah. 
and it's it's always an opportunity for the show to explore uh, really interesting. Sometimes like the Jersey Devil, which we was the right. last one we mm-hmm. did, you know, and and that's been a a legend in New Jersey and the Pine Barrens for a long time. So right. that they take these these urban legends and they breathe new life into them. Yeah, it's really cool. And and the the truth arcs can be, um, I mean, even though I love them, they can be kind of heavy. Oh yeah, you know, and, and emotional. So and, these and, are nice because they kind of right. They're full of suspense and mystery, and it's and just a good time. Sometimes they get really kind of convoluted there's yeah, a, there's just a yeah. lo- there's a lot going on and you have to really know you have to really know who's who and yeah that's when you that you can tell if if you're an avid fan of X-Files when a truth story episode comes on right and you don't know what's going on you're like ah see this you you're going to have to go back and right. watch everything so monster of the week episodes are great because it doesn't matter when you see them no it doesn't matter right so, you I can mean, just kind of there's not it's not like one's better than the other it's just the Monster of the Week episodes are great because they don't really require any previous knowledge. You can just right. jump right in and enjoy. Yeah, it's all important. It's all great. Right, but right. I, I do have a special affinity and affection for these Monster <laughs> of the Week episodes. Totally. Um, Shadows was originally aired on October 22nd, 1993, directed by Michael Cattleman or Cattleman, written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong. And... This one surprised me because when we were watching it, I was kind of like, okay, I mean, look, I, I love a lot of X-Files episodes, but I, I'm this one was a slow burn for me. Like, I it was, was for me, too, actually. I was watching we watched it, it separately. Yeah. Well, we watched, yeah, we watched it together well, a while yeah, back. Yeah, a while back we watched it together, but this particular time, yeah. I watched it. I was outside with the kids watching it, yeah. and Toby was inside watching it and taking just, his notes. It was just too hot for me to sit out there. It, it was. We're in Georgia. It was that, like 90s. I don't know. I don't yeah, know how hot it was. It felt that, like it was 90 degrees. It was hot. And then with the humidity on top of that, it of course. I was in the shade, so yeah. that helped. So I'm watching this, and I, I was kind of quiet through it as far as like my inner dialogue or, you know, kind of like, okay, this is how I feel about this episode. Right. It was right there towards the end, and by the time the episode was over, I was like, I was saying all this stuff, even out loud. I was like, okay, this is how I feel about this episode. So I'm really looking forward to it, to getting into um, this episode, what what I really took from it. Uh, but but it really kind of blows up at the very end. Right. Okay? So we talked about the cold opening. We talked about, you know, we had this woman in her office, uh, or, or the office of her boss, excuse me, who is her late boss. And okay. he committed suicide. And this is all what we're getting from the opening sequence. Um, you know, a coworker was kind of trying to comfort her. It's like, look, you should just need to go home. You know, mm-hmm. she, you know, she said that, you know, I, I don't know a lot of people uh, who have died, but never someone who has uh, committed suicide. Right. It's very tragic, you know. Um, so she's having a hard time with this. And when she turns to leave, of course, we see this. We see that desk plaque move. Right after she's left the room. No, she hasn't left yet. She it's, hasn't? It's as she was leaving. As she was leaving. Right, right, right. It's as she was leaving. As she was leaving, it moves, and she turns, and she, she takes it home with her, the desk plaque. And the desk plaque's important. It's going to yes, play a big role definitely. In, in what's going to happen uh, as far as, I think, the overall message of this episode. So, and then, of course, a few moments later, she's attacked by these two men. We don't really see what happens, but we know those two men who attack her end up dead. right. Right, and now let's move into how Mulder and Scully intersect with this uh, extraordinary moment, uh, extraordinary situation, which just, I mean, two men attacking a woman and then both ending up dead, uh, especially, the, you know, they, they, they grabbed her from behind, you know, and they, they, dr- they drug her off. It just seemed like... Oh, yeah, she, it was really, really freaky and, you know... Yeah, but what I'm saying is, she, I mean, she's a go- by all rights, she's a goner. Right. She's a goner, you know. These two guys end up dead. So let's go to Bethesda Naval Hospital. Several hours later, Mulder and Scully are walking down the halls, being led by these two mysterious government agents who are total wet blankets, who refuse to say what agency they're from. They're not being cooperative. It's it's really upsetting. They're they're bringing Mulder and Scully in to look at these two bodies, and it just so happens that these two bodies are the two dead men right. that attacked Lauren Kite. The woman in the beginning. Yes. So Mulder's like, okay, well, you know, there's some weird 
circumstances, one of them we immediately notice, you know, that there's there's the two agents and there's like an attending doctor, a doctor. Yeah. And then you have Mulder and Scully and they're like, well, here's what's going on. There's some weird stuff. Okay. They're not quote unquote, for lack of a better term, they're not behaving like normal corpses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still moving and they're responding to electrostatic charge. The weirdest thing is that their body temperature has not uh, dropped below 98.3 degrees. Right. They're not registering as dead where, where their body temperature is concerned. Right. And they've been dead, uh, according to Scully, because again, these agents aren't, you know, Mulder's like, well, when did they die? And they're not looking. They're just looking at him right. like he's stupid. <laughs> no, it's really weird. They're looking at him like he shouldn't be there. And he's like, look, you brought us in here. Yeah, why are you, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you making this hard for us? Yeah, it's very bizarre. But again, this is the frustration that Mulder deals with, whether it's a Monster of the Week episode or it's a truth arc story. Mulder's dealing with the same issue. They're always blocked in some yeah, way. Is these these agents running in, or these government agencies running interference, mm-hmm. but yet they want their help when they can't explain something. Oh, of course, of course. So they're staring at Mulder and Scully, just not answering any questions. Mulder becomes visibly upset. He's saying, listen, we got these two dead bodies. We need to know how long they've been dead. We need to know where you found them. We need to know the circumstances. All this stuff. Right. Otherwise, we'll just leave because you're not giving us anything. But Scully, because she's brilliant, says, well, look, they've, they've at least been dead six hours. So we know that they had died earlier that night. Right. Right. The doctor then opens up some more, um, opens up some more questions to, to be answered. Uh, turns to some x-rays and explains the manner of death. Their throats were crushed, but seemingly from the inside. Ugh. So she's like, okay, so their throats were crushed, but there's no external abrasions or tissue damage. Right. Which means they were crushed from the inside. Which is really is not possible. Right. Hence the X-Files. <laughs> the mysterious agents finally break their silence. They ask Mulder and Scully if they've seen anything like this before, to which Mulder quickly responds, they have not. He's like, no, we've never seen anything like this. Another thing that they do share, Mulder is basically able to get one piece of information out of one of them. Right. And that's that they had been in air transit for an hour. So the bodies were, br- okay. were brought to Bethesda Medical Center right. by air, and they had been traveling in the air for an hour. That's all. They're not willing to say where they took them from. They're not willing to say how they were found. Right. They just told Mulder and Scully, the two dead bodies have been traveling by air for an hour and got to Bethesda, which is in Maryland. Right. As soon as Mulder and Scully leave, Scully turns to Mulder and goes, you lied to them. Because... <laughs> of course. Of course he's seen something like this before. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's Mulder. Right. She's like, I know you lied to him. Right. And he says, it wasn't that I... He kind of gives this like little quip like, yeah, I just kind of took part in a campaign of misinformation, you know? Oh, my gosh. He has this smirk on his I face. I love him. Yeah. He answered quickly, no, we've not seen anything like this. And because Mulder's like, listen... We have that there. We're on. We have something really important here. Right. Uh, this is something big. These agents brought us here because they don't know what they're dealing with. Yeah. So that kind of gives them an advantage. Right. And the thing that I noticed that you know you and I both noticed about the X Files is these people often either Mulder finds his way into a case or they're brought in. But if they give them too much too soon, right, they lose it all. So Mulder is smart. In yeah. withholding because he know he wants to investigate this and he will officially as, as soon as they get enough information they're gonna boot him out. This is what they always yeah. do. Scully's like, so he's he yeah. is playing the long game. Yeah, and Scully goes, "What agency do you think those those guys are from?" And Mulder says, "That's not what's important. What's important is they don't know what they're dealing with." And he says, "I have X files that match all the things that we've seen, as in corpses with an electrostatic charge." And internal mutilation with no external evidence. There we go. So, absolutely, Mulder has seen this stuff before. Scully always sets Mulder up. (laughs) She asks the big question. Yeah. How can a person's throat be crushed from the inside? And Mulder's answer, psychokinetic manipulation. Scully's ever the skeptic. Yeah. Psychokinesis. And she cracks a joke referencing Stephen King's Carrie. Was, yeah, how Carrie got even at the prom. I was like, yes. Right. <laughs> horrifying. That gave me nightmares. Oh, no. Let's, yeah, that's That's, that's still horrifying. a scary scene. Amazing and horrifying. Right. It's like if 
I, I couldn't watch that scene now with Carrie in the prom. If I watch, <laughs> if I have to watch any of that, I, then I I have to watch like Coal Miner's Daughter so I can watch her to make sure she's a nice person. Yeah, as Loretta Lynn, the country yeah. singer. Like, okay, well now we got to watch that. Yeah, I know. Bless I got to watch her in something. Uh, Sissy Spacek is absolutely oh, get out of here. Just the, the her range over her career to play something like Carrie and then go to like Loretta Lynn and. She's in Bloodline. She's just all these great. She's absolutely fantastic, but golly, that was horrifying. It was. Just it was. Had to throw Kudos that out there. to you as an actress, Sissy Spacek. One of the scariest movie scenes I've ever watched is is when she gets the blood dumped on her. Yeah, it's horrific. And, it, and she, it's just, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so so Scully, you know, cracks a joke. And that, that was Carrie's power, by the way. Right. She, she was right. Uh, that's, psychokinesis. Yeah, that's why, she, that's why she said that. Yeah, could do the things she could do, right? Mulder doesn't laugh. He references that the Russian and Chinese governments are doing studies on this stuff, and they keep their findings secret, which means... They're they, finding something. They must be figuring something out. Yeah. They're not going to keep quiet if, if they're finding nothing. Yeah. Scully is clearly not ready to accept this. You can tell by her face. She's like, here we go. You know, now it's people doing stuff with their minds. Uh, right. She's not ready to accept this, but she's at least ready to not be ready. Right. Mm-hmm. She, well, she's like, look... She may not believe it, but she knows she's going to have a... The whole middle part's going to be great. Well... You know? It's going to be interesting. Uh, Scully... Scully's lack of belief plays a huge role in this. Uh, I, I can't wait to get to that. Because Scully... Scully is the skeptic. Yeah. But she flips the switch in this episode. Yeah, Mulder even actually says that in this episode. Yeah, we're going to get to yeah, it. Yeah, it's great. Okay. So she asks, she asks Mulder where they're going to start. Mulder holds up his reading glasses and fogs them with his breath. And reveals that at some point when he was in the room with those bodies, he fingerprinted his lens with the corpses. Oh my god! It's like some Sherlock Holmes Mulder. level stuff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, is that legal? Probably not. I, I'm just. I mean, I don't care. Mulder can do what he wants. <laughs> it's my book, but <laughs> I'm just like, would that be inadmissible? Like, I don't know. I don't. I don't think he's worried about it. I, I think. I think this is where Mulder gets lost in. I just. I want to see the phenomenon. Right, he he needs Scully because Scully's got the books. She, Scully's got the yeah. rules, and she can find a way to cover for his craziness. But he's got. Right. But they're both necessary. He's got that right gritty. We're gonna go for it. And yeah. honestly, you wouldn't make it far in this particular line of work if you didn't have that. Yeah. So they're on the case, and they have a place to start. We then go to HTG Industrial Technologies in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and this is. This is where we started the story. Right. This is this is Lauren Kite's place of work. This is where Howard Graves worked. Lauren, played by actress Lisa Waltz, she's really great in this uh, episode. I've, yeah. not, I've not seen uh, Lisa Waltz in a lot of stuff. Uh, in fact, I don't think I've seen her in anything. <laughs> yeah, Senses, I mean, to my she, knowledge, this is all I've seen her in. She's really good. Uh, really good in, in, in this role, really good in this episode. Uh, so Lauren arrives to her building, and she briefly checks a newspaper kind of quick. Kind of frantic. Yeah. Uh, appearing to look for a headline. I, I think we can assume it's probably connected to what happened to her right. the previous night. She's like, what she, are they saying about what happened? Right. She can't seem to find what she's looking for, though. She's interrupted by a co-worker, who is another secretary, who reprimands her for being late and remarks that Mr. Graves let her get away with that, but Mr. Dorland is now in charge. And she sits at her desk, and she's like, Mr. Dorland's in charge, and he's not going to let you get away with this, you know, being late and this, that, and the other. Uh, once again, a reference to, you know, Mr. Graves let you get away with that. So her and Mr. Graves. They must Lauren, have had an e- easygoing kind of relationship to is, some degree. Yeah, well, we can we can we can get that much. It's, yeah, but exactly. we, we know it's much deeper. Right. Of course. Lauren asks to meet with Mr. Dorland and the co-worker, an older lady, makes an appointment for t- tomorrow, the next day at three. Lauren insists she needs to see Mr. Dorland now and that it's important. And at that moment, the cup of coffee on her co-worker's desk suddenly spills on its own and gets gets all over. It's interesting. Yeah, it just kind of happens. Yeah. Very much like the desk plaque moved. Right. We see this cup of coffee just spill. And both times that something like this has happened, Lauren has been present. Yeah. As Lauren attempts to help her co-worker get cleaned off, Mr. Dorland, played by actor Barry Primus, steps out and agrees to see Lauren. Lauren immediately gives her two-week notice. So she's ready to go. She doesn't want to be there anymore, apparently. Right. Uh, after what happened to her boss, who committed suicide. And she's obviously still broken up about it. Mr. Dorland ignores this. He he totally he totally uh, bypasses. The, he doesn't answer the question. He goes, I want to give my two weeks notice. And he goes, listen. He starts talking about Howard. Uh, 
and we get some very important exposition here. We find that Dorland, who is the boss of HTG now, right, started the company with Graves ten years before. Dorland goes on about how over those years, you know, coworkers become family. Graves was like a brother to him. And when I talk about Graves slash Howard Graves Her, or Howard, the former boss, yeah, we're right. t- we're talking about the same guy. Graves was like a brother to him, and she had become like a daughter to Graves. So, boom, there's the relationship. There's the relationship. And to be, and I would like to add. The way that um, she behaves so far, even 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 so early on into this episode about her boss, to me it's 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 um it's excessive for it just being her boss, right? It's and I, I don't know anything else. You know, for watching it to this point, we don't know anything else. But I'm like, this seems way more intense than sure. just a secretary's. But I mean, it'd be sad, of course, right. but I wouldn't be like, you know crying all over everything and and quitting my job immediately so there is definitely something other going on right absolutely and 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 it's just going to get deeper and deeper as we go on obviously so dorlan dorlan comes off as kind of like listen i understand he was like a brother to me and he's trying to be kind of paternal and you were a daughter to him but then he things become sinister like on a dime he you know again he goes like hey look your family and then he gets real closer, and he grabs her face and says, I won't let you leave, Lauren. Suddenly in that moment, the gold bracelet on Dorland's uh, wrist mm-hmm. tightens by itself. Yeah. Dorland struggles. He lets go of Lauren, backs up, and he, and, and he struggles to pull his bracelet off. He has to pull it off. Yeah. To, like, get it to stop. And he's obviously shocked and disturbed. He, he doesn't really quite know what happened. Right. But he hold, as he's holding his wrist in pain, he, lo- he says to Lauren, you have two weeks. Like, you know, go. It's clear at this point. Such a weird yeah. sequence of events. It's clear at this point that the force, whatever this unseen force is, um, that moved the desk plaque, yeah. that spilled the coffee, mm-hmm. that likely had to do with the death of these two men. See, see, now it makes sense. Like, okay, how did Lauren escape these two men? Well, look at what's happening around her. Right, right. Something's doing something. And now the, the the bracelet tightening on Dorland when she was threatened, right? Um, this this clearly has something to do with Lauren. Clearly has something to do with Graves, and whatever this it's for- some kind of protective force. Yeah. Yes. I mean, brutal. Right. But a prote- but but it also depends on the situation. Like the coffee, like that was not nice. She's bit, but but this, it didn't kill anybody. She, but she you know was know being I mean? rude to her. You know, she but wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's like something is like, hey, don't mess with this one. Right. Don't mess with Lauren. Right, that's why I feel like, hmm, th- this this started in Graves' office, right? You know, and you know he he keeps popping up, right? The, the the this this whole situation, her relationship with Howard Graves. We then get to FBI headquarters, where Mulder and Scully are doing their homework on the dead men. Now, listen, this is what's crazy: <laughs> the two guys that attacked Lauren weren't just these like. Street perps. No. That were just, you know. They weren't like muggers. Yeah. They weren't just a couple of street criminals. These guys are connected to a terrorist group called the Isfahan. The rap sheet is not, th- these guys' rap sheet yeah. is not at all consistent with someone that would just rob someone for some cash. They, they have like illegal arms. Yeah. Uh, charges, things like that. Scully finds that the group that they work for operates in Philadelphia. There it is. Which Mulder says, that's 60 air minutes from where we are, which is what the agent, all the agent would give them, right? Is right. They were in the plane for an hour, the two bodies. There they you said, go. It must be where they were found. Yep. So that's how they get to Philadelphia. So they get to Philadelphia, and sure enough, they find the patrol officer that found the two bodies, and the two bodies he found were the two men that they saw in Bethesda that were acting weird, you know, with the electrostatic charge and all that, the two crushed throats. Yeah. It is the guys. The patrol officer finds them, and Mulder's looking around, and he notices an ATM nearby. And you know, Mulder just you know puts it together. Says, "Well, wait a minute. There's an ATM nearby. Maybe the ATM has a camera that saw what happened." Sure enough, they check the ATM surveillance camera that's in the machine. Yep, and they are able to see. Gets the whole thing. Oh, uh, it gets the whole thing. They, they're able to see Lauren's attack, and they freeze frame it. 
Scully asks the obvious while they're looking at this surveillance. Why in the world would two terrorist group operatives rob a random woman for like 40 bucks? Yeah, no. No, they weren't. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like that, yeah. Her question is the answer. They weren't. Right. But Mulder notices something else as he views the paused frame in the video. A strange shape, somewhat humanoid, standing behind Lauren and the two men during the attack. It's kind of like a blurry version of a person. Yeah, yeah. Like a blur- almost staticky almost. Yeah. It's something. Scully thinks it might be a person. Mulder says maybe, maybe not. <laughs> or. <laughs> Either way, they have a person to talk to, and that's Lauren Kite. Because they were able to, you know, they were able to, you know, obviously get the information from the ATM of who was using it. They're able to find out it's Lauren Kite. She's the person that got attacked. Exactly. And back at Lauren's house in Philadelphia, she has boxes everywhere. She's obviously moving. Yeah, she, she's, she's been trying to, you know, quit her job and, and get the heck out of Dodge. Yeah. She looks like she's about to start packing fragile items. She's got, like, newspaper. And she stops when she notices on her mantle the glass plaque from Howard Graves' office. One today is worth two tomorrows. The quote by Ben Franklin. Right. She looks at it, and it's clear she didn't put it there. She looks at it as if she was surprised it was there. Like, I don't think she put it there. I think she was wondering why it was there. Either way, the doorbell rings. She puts it back and answers the door, and it's Mulder and Scully. They have arrived. (laughs) Lauren initially does not want them to come in, but Mulder kind of just pushes through. He's like, hey, we're only going to be here for a minute, you know. Yeah. And... They ask Lauren some questions. Scully shows Lauren the pictures of the attackers. Lauren denies initially that she's ever seen them or has ever known them, but then Scully pulls out the surveillance image of her actually getting grabbed by the two guys that she denies knowing. Right, she's like, see, I, do f- I think you do know them. Yeah, oh yeah. this happened, honey. Right. Like- <laughs> well, Lauren spills the beans. She said she was attacked, but she was able to get away. Mulder informs Lauren that the men are dead. Scully asks about the strange humanoid shape in the background of the attack. She's like, do you know who this is? Right. Kind of, you kind of see, like again, it's like a blurry, staticky image of a person. Yeah. It's clear that Lauren does recognize the shape, but she denies it. And as they leave, Mulder and Scully get into their car and discuss how Lauren was not being upfront with them. It's very clear. She's yeah. been very cagey. Yeah. For one, they, they had to pull from her the fact that she was attacked in the first place. Right. But she definitely denied knowing whatever possibly, whatever that apparition or strange it just, phenomenon phenomenon that was in the picture behind the attack. Yeah, she, she for some reason, was able to recognize and or, you know, identify what it was. Yeah, and as they prepare to drive off, their car begins to malfunction, seemingly. Right. It kicks into reverse by itself. And begins barreling backward down the street and crashes into another car. Everybody's yeah, okay. Bad. It is real bad. Yeah, everybody's okay. And Mulder looks down the street after the accident and he sees Lauren watching. She knows something. Maybe she doesn't fully understand what's going on, but she knows something's up. Absolutely. She's not giving them everything. At a local mechanic shop, Mulder's intrigued because the people working on the car found nothing wrong with it. It was new, only had 100 miles, no issues, but something interesting. The lights are on. Mulder's like, look. And Scully's like, yeah, the lights are on, so what? And he goes, I didn't turn them on. Right. They're on because of an electrostatic charge. They're overloaded. The filaments are overloaded because of... Yeah, because he's like, no, the lights aren't on. Right. They're not turned on. Right. But they're on. They're on. Yeah. He goes, you know, Mulder surmises because of some contact with electrostatic energy. Yeah. Just like the bodies at the morgue. Right. While, this is why the bodies at the morgue were still warm and still moving. Yeah. They, were, they came in contact with something, a high amount of electrostatic energy. Mulder begins to put it together. And it's all connected by Lauren Kite, who is the common factor in these cases. Mulder and Scully comes in contact with Lauren Kite. Look what happens to the car. Lauren Kite comes in contact with the bodies. Look what happens to them. And right. then aside from that, we've seen all this weird phenomenon happening with Lauren Kite. This is when we get the Mulder moment. Here we go. We always get it. We always get the Mulder moment. <laughs> where Mulder usually fairly accurately gives a hypothesis that's pretty much that's what's... Most, yeah, it's mostly the solution. It's mostly the solution. There's always a little twist at the end. Yes. 
But he he's might, usually generally right. Right. Here it is. And he asks the question, what if it's possible somehow to raise the body's electrostatic charge to levels that would allow them to affect objects? Scully has an objection, which is actually the other part of the Mulder moment. Right. The human body can't handle such power. Scully asks Mulder if she thinks Lauren has the powers. Mulder thinks it's either her or a poltergeist. (laughs) I just love that he says it. (laughs) Scully makes another joke. She's on a roll, referencing the film Poltergeist. They're here, right? (laughs) Scully then responds with her theory and gives us a little more exposition. Two Middle Eastern terrorist operatives attack a woman who works for a company that makes parts for the Defense Department. That's what HTG does. Yep. When Scully and Mulder question her, she's like, look, we question her. Our car gets sabotaged. This is no X-File, but indeed, there's something going on with this HTG company. Right. Lauren is somehow connected to it, but Scully thinks it's an accomplice. Right. She th- yeah, she thinks it's someone else living involved. Right. Because Scully's like, look, there's no way that people can move stuff with their minds. Right. Mulder's like, well, it doesn't have to be. It can be a poltergeist. And Scully's like... She's like, that's also crazy. <laughs> I agree that Lauren's getting help, but it's from an accomplice. Right. Right? This is, so this is interesting. Both Mulder and Scully have two different parts of the puzzle. They just haven't put them together yet. Mulder has the supernatural piece, the poltergeist. We know at this point Lauren is not the one who has the powers. Right. But I it, really thought she did. Uh, just, just to be frank, I, for a while I was yeah. like... I think she can't control it. That was, okay. what I, that was what I thought. I thought she was having like a Scarlet Witch chaos magic moment. I, see, my first response is that <laughs> my first response is that she she wasn't connected to it at all, and that it had to do with the boss. Like, yeah, somehow I it had I've, to do. There was there was something that um, made me think that it was her. Well, but then obviously, as the episode yeah. goes on, you understand. But at first, I was like, okay, this girl's got some crazy stuff she can't control. Which that the, was exciting. Yeah, it's funny that I never looked at it like that. Well. Maybe it's because I secretly want chaos magic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Mulder has the supernatural piece, the poltergeist. That's his assertion. We know at this point Lauren is not the one who has the powers, but an unseen force is clearly helping her. But then again, you made a really good assertion that right. a good that's a that's a good theory. I just didn't have that. Yeah, initially. I I was holding on to it for a bit. Right. Until uh, again, until some other things un- unfolded. Scully has the rational piece, as always. Yes, she's getting help. Which some, is true. From someone. But who? Right. At the moment Scully makes her assertion about an accomplice, yeah. the lights on the car that they had that, that got wrecked go out. And Mulder picks up his jacket. He, it, he, I know. It was such a moment, too. And he turns to her, and he gives her this look. I know, man. That basically says, you want to explain that? Like... But it was like, I mean, that look was like the beginning of like a 1950s like lawyer drama, like, hello, I'm Fox Mulder. Right. Like, I was like, wow. But he gives her this look like, do you really want to say that this is all just some rational, you know. Easily explained. Easily explained situation. No. Mm -mm. Sorry, Scully. You're in the wrong biz. Mulder and Scully begin to case Lauren, though, as in they start following her. Right. They find her at work berating someone over removing Howard Graves' name from his parking space. I found that strange. Yeah. She's very defensive of him after his death. Yeah. Uh, uh, this leads Mulder to wonder who Howard Graves is. So the, the focus is now expanding from Lauren to Howard Graves. That was, to me, that the thing with, with, his, with his parking space, that was, an, for me, another nail in the coffin of it's her doing it. All right. Because of how protective she was. Yeah. So to me, in my mind, I was like, oh, it is her. Right. She wants him to, she doesn't, you know, she, she's trying to control right. this environment. So if you had that theory, theory this, is, this is for you then. Yeah, yeah. Well, they continue to investigate. The good old microfish informs Mulder and Scully that Howard Graves committed suicide. And Mulder can't help but see that all roads lead to Lauren Kite. Right. But even he doesn't have the whole story because he goes, man, it seems like all these people around Lauren Kite are dying. But he doesn't have the whole story. But again, he, he's, he's making these connections to Lauren. They follow Lauren to a cemetery where she places flowers on Howard Graves' grave. Right. They visit the grave site themselves after she leaves. They see Howard Gra- Howard's grave. But next to him, there's another grave. Sarah Lynn Graves, 
who was three years old when she died. Mm. The groundskeeper of the cemetery informs them it was Howard Graves' daughter. Oh. She accidentally drowned. It led to Howard's marriage ending. It, it really, mm, you know. It rocked. It, right. Family. It devastated him. Mulder makes a very interesting observation. She, he turns to Scully and says, had Sarah Lynn lived, she'd be Lauren Kite's age. Okay. No wonder he took to Lauren Kite then, p- presumably. Right. Scully finds another thing that's really important. You know, that again, kind of, again, it's coming slowly more into focus. Yeah. Scully reveals that Lauren is estranged from her family. Right. Hasn't spoken in two years, correct? Yeah. So, obviously, a rocky relationship with her family, her parents. Yeah. So, she's without parental guidance. Right. Makes sense. Mulder then sets off to develop some pictures he had taken of Lauren in her home. Like, you know, again, they've been casing her all day, so they've been taking pictures of her. In one of the photos, Lauren is in her home. We see a dark shape of a figure behind her. Oof. Photo enhancement reveals the figure. It is Howard Graves. It's a bombshell. So it's not her powers after all, which was... Well, we know what Scully thinks. Yeah. Oh, well, Howard Graves faked his death. Right, of course. He's He's still alive. Mulder says, not necessarily, (laughs) because in Mulder's mind, Graves is the poltergeist. Right, which would... Which, if that were true, it would make everything would make sense. Right. That night, Lauren is asleep in her home when she hears sounds as if, as if someone has has is breaking is, in. Is breaking in. Yeah. They're, they're in the house. She grabs a bat and goes to investigate. She hears sounds coming from her bathroom. It's a man's voice saying, "No, no, don't do this to me!" Like protesting, yeah. sounds scared. They're being threatened or hurt. Yeah, it definitely sounds violent. And she recognizes the voice as Howard, Howard Graves. She gets into her bathroom, she pulls the curtain, and her bathtub has water in it, and suddenly it starts to become filled with blood. Yeah, the, the way this was filmed was really creepy, because it's just yeah. this big, dark like pool in the middle of blood that slowly right. seeps outward. And I have to say, this episode was heavy on the Stephen King references, yeah. because obviously with Carrie, which to me I felt was a device to make us think that it was Lauren at first. Interesting. That yeah, was see, that was how it. I thought. I thought, okay, they're influencing our thought. So, oh, of course, we're meant to think this troubled woman is causing all right. this chaos because she can't control her emotions. Mm. And then the blood in the tub, obvious it reference. Right. Because Stan, you know, Stanley, you know, when he is, you know, he he kills himself. Yeah. And is in the bathtub. But obviously this scene's a bombshell because it's revealing that it was not well the same. But this From, this is a very Stephen Kingy episode, which yeah. I really liked. This is clearly a vision she's getting, and, yes. and she exclaims when she sees it, Howard, they killed him. Yes. So now, oh my God. So it's not suicide after. It's all. It's not suicide after all, at least in 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 Lauren's mind. But who's going to believe her? Right. And but, she knows that. Right. We then go to the National Bureau of Medical Examiners in Philadelphia, where Mulder and Scully are checking out the circumstances. Of Howard Graves' death. Scully still thinks Howard faked his death. And Mulder says she may be right. But she has to prove that Graves is alive. Which is why they are there. Right. They meet with probably the most monotone. This is the weirdest woman I've ever encountered. The most monotone, disinterested medical examiner I've ever seen. (laughs) She almost seems like I'm really happy to give you information that's not going to help you. (laughs) Oh, I know. There were like a few lines in. I, I, I just started laughing. Yeah. I was like, who, are, who, who is this woman? I don't know what her approach was to that role. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I'd love to hear the acting theory behind this really monotone performance. But she says that Howard Graves is very much dead. No investigation was made since it was not ruled a homicide. Yeah. She's like, look, if it were a homicide, we would have gotten all this, you know, t- done all these tests and all this right. other. Um, and also, Howard was cremated. Yeah, so, but she was like, how'd you know he was dead? She was like, his toe tag. I was right, like, I know. Listen, woman. You're not just, helpful at all. I mean, you, take a vitamin. Like, are you all right? Like, or, or find something else that makes you happy. Right. You know? Another <laughs> interesting glass of wine, jeez. Another interesting detail is when they found out who ID'd the body, it was Lauren Kite. So once mm-hmm. again, they're closely connected. There is another way to prove that Howard is dead, though. Yep. Thanks Scully. to Scully. Yep, she finds in his in, in the file on Howard at his death that his organs were donated. So then they go they they then hop on to the next thing, next place, University of Pennsylvania Hospital Tissue Bank, 
where they find that Howard's organs are in five different people already. My heavens. They've already been transplanted, but they did save some matter from his spinal column. They agreed to run tests and confirm his identity from Mulder and Scully. So so they got some some matter from his spinal, spinal column from Howard Graves. So they're like, look, we'll run a test and we'll we'll give you confirmation. Like, yes, it was definitely Howard Graves. Back at HTG, where Lauren worked. Or, right, works, yeah. wor- is trying right. to not work. She's preparing to leave during her last day of work. Before she does, she goes into Howard's office one last time. Soon after, Dorland enters. Of course. To say goodbye and also to threaten her. <laughs> As he has done every time we've ever seen him. So, here's the thing. We know that Dorlin is up to no good based on the way he was behaving towards right. Lauren. And I, and also, it's we can now assume he's treating her this way because of her relationship with Graves. Yes. So, and now after this vision, he's highly suspect. Yeah, because, because why what, Why would he threaten her so intensely that day? You, and you're then, not leaving right. and all that. And then we find out that Graves' death may not be a suicide after all. Right. In fact, we're basically, if, if we're taking what Graves... Or, or this, this whatever this force is, yeah. is telling Lauren, then he was killed. So Dorland is very suspect, and obviously he's threatening towards Lauren because he's worried about what she knows. Obviously. What yeah. could Lauren possibly know about? Lauren accuses Dorland of killing Howard. Dorland says he knows Howard told her. I don't know what he told her. He yeah. says, "I know Howard told you, and if it ever gets out, she'd be in trouble." Yeah, he was like, "I won't." He's like, "I won't even bother with looking for anybody. I'll come straight to you." Right. It's and, bad. You know, Lauren, of course, as I said, accuses Dorlin of killing Howard. Dorlin doesn't deny it, but he goes to grab Lauren, but she's able to escape the office. She immediately calls Mulder, asking to meet, sensing that her life is in danger. Mulder and Scully leave, but before they do, they get the test results on the spinal cord matter. It was Howard. He, he is, is dead. He is dead. He's dead. So that does not help <laughs> Scully. That doesn't help Scully. No. No. Her 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 rational explanation is now it's it's, it's slow it's pretty quickly going out the window. Right. We're gonna have to go with Mulder. <laughs> yeah. Lauren is waiting for Mulder and Scully at her home, but other visitors get there first. Lauren thinks Mulder and Scully are at the door when it gets a knock. She goes to answer it, but the door locks by itself. Then a chair by itself, barricades the door. It slides across the room. A man and a woman eventually break in. One of them has a knife, and he it's a man and a woman. Yeah. The man has a knife. He tells the woman, go run the bath. Oh. Yeah. Just like Just like Graves. Howard. Oof. Oh, yeah. So creepy. These are clearly assassins. Yeah, and they have a style. And I would think that they're probably sent by Dorland. Without warning, though, all the lights in Lauren's house explode. Now, now we know what that means. Yep. An unseen force then begins to attack the two assassins. It kills the female assassin and then begins to attack the male assassin. Like, some, he just looks like he's getting punched in the face by, you know, some invisible force. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Mulder, Mulder and Scully arrive, and Mulder walks in and sees with his own eyes the male attacker suspended in midair by an unseen force before falling dead on the ground. Sheesh. During questioning, Lauren refuses to talk to Mulder and Scully. Mulder shows Lauren the enhanced picture of graves behind her in the house, but they're interrupted. By who? Again, the two wet blanket mysterious agents <laughs> who refused to help out, but yet wanted Mulder and Scully's help in the beginning. The, you know, know. the, the two agents from, from Bethesda. Uh, they informed them that Graves' company, HTG, was selling restricted parts to the Isfahan terrorist group. <gasps> oh, boy. This is what the information Lauren has. Right. This is why Dorland, I think, is threatening her. This is what I think Dorland was referencing when he said, I know Howard told you. Right. So the company is selling illegally parts to a terrorist group, which uh, I believe also the agents say these parts were used on an actual terrorist attack that, oh, that, that had killed some U.S. sailors. Right. So so on one hand, they're they're mm. doing things for the U.S. government. And then on the sly, they're doing things for a terrorist organization. Yes. It's terrible. So the two agents who were total, you know, totally running interference and not being helpful at all at the beginning are actually saying, listen, we're investigating HTG right. because they're selling right. parts. And now their terror- silence makes more sense. 
Yes, even though they didn't have to be total. They didn't have to be butts about it, <laughs> right? <laughs> to to uh, you know, make they, it a little PG. They don't but. know if Lauren <laughs> is involved in it or not, but either way, they're like, "Look, you guys are hampering our investigation." Talking to Mulder and Scully, right? Eventually, Mulder and Scully get a second shot at questioning her, uh, Lauren, and this time she does open up when Mulder says, "Hey, Howard's still watching over you." Isn't he? Yeah, because he tell he does tell him. He says, "I can get her to talk." He said, "But let me give you some advice. Don't be rough with her." Right, because, because he's like, "I have seen it." But yeah, he knows what happens. <laughs> Y'all gonna right? get messed up. So he tells Mulder. So Mulder goes to Lauren and says, "He's watching over you, isn't he?" And this this makes Lauren open up. She shares that at Gra- as Graves' secretary, they became close. She also shared how Graves' partner Dorland. Brought in the Isfahan group to sell the parts too. Of course. Graves didn't agree and was devastated when he found out that the Isfahan, this group, had used the parts they bought from HTG to commit acts of terrorism. Mm -hmm. She shared how Graves shared with her from beyond the grave how Dorland had him killed. She talked about her vision. Yeah. Yes. And how it was made to look like a suicide. So Dorland is the villain here. Absolutely. Which we... Could surmise, but didn't have the proof. And Lauren, and, and now, now Lauren shares all that, and then she's like, "And now I want to go. I want to go. I want to get away from this." She thinks right. if, I, if I can leave Philadelphia, none of these things will happen to me anymore. And then Scully does one of the most amazing things I've yeah, seen her do. This is cool. She gets up, and she faces Lauren, like has this look on her face that is so like. Like she believes, yeah, determined, and but like she believes, and she and she empathizes with her. She tells Lauren that it's not enough to just live, but to show Graves that she loved him by helping him get to the truth of what's going on in in the company with HTG. And she says, "This, how will you be able to rest if he never can?" Oof, that's powerful. But why is that so out of character? Because she's not. The, quote, true believer, she's, unquote. She's telling Lauren, like, you can't ever rest because the soul of Howard Graves isn't at rest. Right. We know, we know what she thinks about this stuff. Mulder, it shows Mulder watching this, and he's amazed. <laughs> he's like, what Ama- is happening? Right, because in this moment, Scully's behaving like she believes that there's this poltergeist watching over Lauren Kite. Right. But I think, the, and, and I'm going to let you keep going. I'm well, going to say this before you say the next thing. Is yeah. Scully's superpower is... is a, about to be revealed with what uh, he confronts her with. And I'll say it after you say what she said. Well, this con- this works. Yeah, it yeah convi- totally. It convinces Lauren to stay and help. Totally. She leaves to get washed up, and Mulder asks the question that we all want to ask Scully. <laughs> yes. What are you doing you don't believe? Scully then switches right back mm-hmm. to the Scully we all know she is, at least at this point, the skeptic. And says she doesn't believe in poltergeist or psychokinesis. She believes that Lauren believes and was using that as leverage to get her cooperate. Yeah. I love that. She goes, I believe that she believes. She believes that Scully, I mean Mulder, and I believe that she believes. Yeah. And that's what I use. And then here, and here in this moment is where I am reminded of right. what Scully's actual, one, like I say superpower, but it's also how she is able to function in this world with, with Mulder. She has empathy. Right. She can feel for yeah. and with others. And if they believe something absolutely outside of her you know, sphere of right. understanding, that's okay. She's going to get down in the mud with them. Right. And help them through it. Yeah. And that is, and, and but, but that's why she can go on all these capers with Mulder because she feels with him. Right. She doesn't, ha- she doesn't share. She doesn't believe it necessarily. No, she doesn't share Mulder's faith, but she has faith in Mulder's faith. Yes. She cares about him and she cares right. about his journey. She cares about this case. She cares about this person's well being. So she will do what she needs to do to get that done. I loved it. I, I loved this moment. Yeah. It, it was tough because. It was neat. It was hard for me. Well, yeah. Because, well, because we see what Lauren's going through. It's real. Yes, right. And, and and even Mulder and Scully don't get to see it. No, Well, Mulder is frustrated. He actually protests. He goes, by doing what you're doing, it removes the possibility to see spectral phenomenon. <laughs> now, Mulder is also kind of being like, you know, he's being Mulder. He wants to see. Whereas Scully defends that, no, we're solving a tangible case. Right. But, you know, the secret, you know, it's I always what we always say. The secret is... And what they do together. Right. 
they need they need the skeptic and the believer because together those things make it all work. Sure. I think. And this is all building up to the sting. <laughs> you guys can't see, but Toby just did this really funny move. Yeah, the sting. The, the sting. With his hand. The FBI, and also with the assistance of the agents from the beginning. Right. We, still, we don't know their names. The unnamed agents from the unnamed agency. Well, the FBI is working with them to raid HTG and get evidence for their right. dealings with terrorists. Lauren agrees to go to help because, again, she's worked there for years. She was yeah. Graves' uh, secretary, so she would know where they probably keep their really yeah, secret well, stuff. And a sec- I mean, you got to think. I mean, you know, we see it in movies all the time. The secretaries, they know probably lots and lots and lots of things that they shouldn't. Yeah, close confidants, but they right? just, they do. So, she's she, yeah, she's definitely got a beat on a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so she goes to look for incriminating documents. When they arrive, Dorland comes out, but he's not worried. They can't find anything on him either. So he's kind of like, ah, it's fine, you know. Yeah, the agents are unhappy. No, they are. In, in fact, you know, the, the the one guy tells Mulder, the guy from the beginning, yeah. he goes, look, you know, we've been, we've been at this for a year, and now it's blown. He's like, you've blown it. Yeah. As they prepare to leave, though, Lauren isn't done. She won't give up. She continues searching Dorland's office. They go, her and Scully and Mulder go into Dorland's office. Because yeah. they're like, look, you know, maybe you know. Because yeah, he, right. he, he took over Graves' office. Exactly. So Mulder tries getting her out, but Dorlin confronts them and insults Lauren. Lauren, enraged, attacks Dorlin, and they struggle. But eventually Lauren is pushed away, and an unseen force pushes Dorlin against the wall and begins choking him. Yeah, and at this one, it's just, it's just Mulder, Lauren, and Dorland. Yeah. Scully has taken a box yeah. out somewhere. She's she's like, all right, let's go. Yeah, we're done. Yeah. Of course. So of she, course she misses she the misses action. But you know what though? It's fine. Because yeah. the door shuts, trapping them in, so they're they're trapped in Dorland's office. Mulder sees the spectral phenomenon he wanted. Scully hears the chaos, but is trapped and is kept from seeing what's going on. She's trying to get in, but she can't. Light bulbs explode, papers fly around the room, pictures come off the wall. In the midst of this, a letter opener hovers in the air. You think it it's, it points at Dorland's face. Yeah, Yossi walked in as I was watching. He goes, is it going to kill him? Right. I was like, I don't think so. Don't look. No. <laughs> it turns and stabs a wall in Dorland's office and slashes downward. Suddenly, it all stops. Yep. Scully busts in and can only witness the aftermath. Mulder gets up and walks across the room to where the letter opener is stuck in the wall and is slashed opening... It had slashed an opening, excuse me, in the upholstery that was revealing a computer disk. A floppy disk. Yep. I miss those old floppy disks. All the evidence, no doubt, of yep. Dorland's dealings with yep. the Isfahan terrorist group. I mean, it is problem solved in right. like 30 seconds. We saw the poltergeist. Mulder we saw the indeed. poltergeist. Lauren, of course, saw it. Dorland was incapacitated. You know, he was he was thrown up against the wall and kind of choked, and he was just kind of sitting there looking in, in a daze. Yeah, he, but, he's, he was traumatized. But Scully misses it. Frustrating, quite frustrating. Yes, yes. In the aftermath, Mulder and Scully debrief with Lauren as she prepares to move away. She gets in her car, truck, you know, I think it was her car. It was, yeah. pull, it was pulling like a trailer, though. Yeah, yeah. The DOJ is going after Dorland for dealing with the Isfahan and for the murder of Howard Graves. Lauren agreed to come back to Philadelphia to testify, and she thanks Mulder and Scully and drives away. I mean, it's kind of quick, but then again, a lot's happened, you know. It's only yeah, one episode. She's, yeah, yeah, but she was And she was ready to go, but she was just she's like... She's been ready to go since the episode began. Right. So, <laughs> to be fair, you know, let her go. Yeah. Mulder and Scully trade some banter as they drive away with Mulder talking about wanting to see the Liberty Bell Yeah. before they leave Philadelphia. I was like, I wonder how late they're open. I'm like, Mulder, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, just, what, are, just, you, you want to see the ghost of the Liberty Bell? Like, right. what is it? Just on to the next thing. I you know? know. I think it just goes to show you that they have to kind of be on to the next thing. They can't linger. You I know? also think, I, I think Mulder can't linger. I think Mulder, Mulder can't sit still. No, he can't. But I think if he, because, well, if he does sit still, he's going to stay on one thing. Yeah. You know, as, as obsessive as he gets. Yeah, yeah. I think he has to move on to the next thing. Yeah, I think, I think or, like, or his angst will eat him alive. Right, I agree. Mm-hmm. We yeah. then go to the Monroe Mutual Insurance Center in Omaha, Nebraska. Very mid- far away. The Midwest. It's Lauren. She's moved. She started a new life. She has a new job. Interesting, we see on her desk, Graves' glass desk plaque. One today is worth two tomorrows. 
showing that she still keeps Howard dear to her heart. She hands in some paperwork, and her supervisor complains about it being 25 minutes late. Right. Even kind of makes this quip like, well, that may be how it's done in the East, but in the Midwest, it's about being punctual, right? (laughs) And she's this old, like, you know, just fud-dud lady. Lauren notices the woman's coffee begin to shake on its own. But then the woman grabs the coffee quickly. And she's panicking. She's like, oh, God. Oh, yeah. But the woman grabs the coffee and complains that the whole building shakes every time a truck drives by. Lauren was looking worried, but then appears relieved and goes back to her desk. She sits down and returns to work, then takes a thoughtful look at the glass plaque, and a peaceful smile washes over her face. And that is it. It was a good one. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you my take on this. Okay. okay. And then, uh, first I want to, because it, it, it's, it's, it, I was really surprised about, <laughs> by, by, the, by how much I liked this ending. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Here's uh, the, I won't, first want to talk about the saying. Okay. Uh, one today is worth two tomorrows. It is a Ben Franklin quote. It's of tri- co- and it's, of course, they're in Philadelphia, so it makes sense. Yeah. So. Here's what it means. Uh, ultimately, what Ben Franklin is saying, one today is worth two tomorrows. He's saying the future is not guaranteed. Today, it, which is what... It's ma- all you have. It, it's all you have. It's Today is more valuable. Right. So it's, it's like, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, so if you're putting something off to tomorrow or you're focusing too much on the future or tomorrow, he's saying, look, what you have today is worth so much more than what tomorrow right. is. Right. It's, good. it's a good saying. You know, the future is worth something, but now is worth more than the future because... Tomorrow, you can do something about right now, right? But tomorrow, and you may not live to see tomorrow, right? Right. So I hope I hope I explain that well. Which is, of course, symbolic because of Howard Graves, right? But this also, like many X Files episodes, if not all, but definitely most, you get you, you get a question at the end. The question could be: Is it over? What's going to happen? What did happen? You know, those kinds right. of things. What's going to happen next? That's what I love about this show. Yeah. We often get a little question at the end. I'll give you an example. Let's think of the the last episode we talked about, uh, the Jersey yeah. Devil. You know, about the, the, the wild people. Yes. You know, what happens at the end, right? The, you know, the wild woman dies. But she had a kid. She, we find out at the end, we see this, this, this father and son walking through the woods, and there's a kid. Right. So you're kind of like, uh-oh, Uh-oh. What, what, what's going to happen? <laughs> You, yeah. you automatically are like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not solved. Right. And I don't think any of them are ever solved fully. But but the 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 quote here, one today is worth two tomorrows, I think does answer the question about, is this over? Mm-hmm. As much as I like things not having finality, because I like things continuing and, and having that sense that it's not over... I actually believe this is an episode that does have a complete arc. Okay. With finality for Lauren Kite and for Howard Graves. I think Howard loved her like a daughter and from beyond the grave protected her and allowed her to get him justice so his soul could find rest. Right. Okay. I, I think I yeah. think I think his soul wanted rest. Yeah. I think he look, he was the poltergeist. I think his soul wanted rest, and he also knew that the the job wasn't done because she was still around with his secrets. Right. So, you know, in in, a, in any typical ghost story, if there's unfinished business to do with you know either the person who died or someone close to them, they stick around. And I think the ending tells us that Graves is no longer is watching gone. over Lauren. He's gone. Right now, now when you see the cup shake. That's the, the X-Files way of saying, is it over? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, sure. It could have been the trucks. It also could have been Howard like, do I need to get back in this biz? Like, it, it you know, could, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It could have been. However, this is the other part of the explanation. And we have some help. I think the ending tells us that Graves is no longer watching over Lauren as a poltergeist. At the same time, though, her glance at the plaque was her way of keeping him with her as a reminder that today is all she has. And to truly savor it, here's the thing. If Graves would always be with her and intervene every time something yeah. bad happened to her, mm-hmm. that's really no way for Lauren to live. No. Listen, the reason why life is beautiful is because of its fragility. Right. The reason why life means so much is because it could go at any time. Right. I think the person that informs us that both Lauren and Howard are at rest and it, and it completes the story is Scully. Yeah, Scully inadvertently in her moment of fake believing with Lauren actually gives us the resolution. 
She says, "He won't, how can you be at rest if he's not? It's good. Yeah. I think the ending was confirmation for Lauren and I, and that she can truly move forward with her life happily and with peace, remembering a man who is truly her father in both this life and for a time afterward. Here's the thing. If... If Howard were, if Howard's ghost or poltergeist were to follow her for the rest of her life and haunt her and always block her from right. wrong things, what I'm saying is she'd be in in a prison, right, really. to a degree, and yeah. it's and it smacks against the quote: "One today is worth two tomorrows." Right. I really think it's for Lauren. It's like now you can live. Yeah. You know, and and, and at the same time, she takes that advice from someone that she saw as a father. Exactly. Who yeah. I think who I think is also I totally like that. Who I think is because here's the thing. If if Howard is still haunting Lauren, even if it's benevolent protecting her, he's not at rest. Right. And then the other part of that equation you got to think is too like yes, Lauren was his daughter in this world, but now that he's in the other, he has a daughter right. in the other. Right. So if he's re- I, I in my mind as a parent, I'm thinking okay, I took care of this one. Right. Now I can go get to know this one. Yeah. And and so and, I would and, and in my mind I kept thinking well. He's got to he's got to go because there's stuff for him on the other side. I think so. I I think the X Files is doing the X Files thing by kind of being like, up. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but I think when well, she, they want to leave it just a little yeah, open ended because when, that's fun. When the coffee shakes, I think the X Files is going, uh oh. <laughs> but if if it had ended there, if she was to, if if she looked fearful for a second and then it kind of like then it did the fade out with the Chris Carter. Yeah, exact- yeah. Then it would have absolutely been, oh, yeah, he's still around. But she went back to her desk, and she looked at the plaque, and she smiled. Yeah. I think she truly knew. Or it can allude that she has powers herself. Perhaps. <laughs> it's but, a stretch, but I would like it. But I'm telling you, what amazed me is, uh, she, now, now let, listen, Scully doesn't have it now. She she doesn't see eye to eye with Mulder now. No, we're, we're not at that point yet. But to see what Scully can do, even when she Without was, believing. Yeah, I'm like the things that the things that she did when she faked believe. I'm like, man, when you actually get a hold of this thing. Mm-hmm. But again, that's because I mean, I, as much as I love Mulder, he's not an empath. No, he if you are if you are buying what he's selling, then he's gonna go all out for you. But Mulder, I mean, excuse me, but Scully actually does generate empathy for people, and she can act on that. Mulder is more like okay. I have a task. I'm gonna see it done. Right. So that's that's where that's where her abilities help her. She's an empath. She's also Catholic, which means she has a religious conviction. She does. Even though when Mulder asks her what she thinks about the afterlife, she goes, "I'm more worried about this one." Right. We've are we've also already have seen um, Scully in, in in the role of, in the last episode in, in a maternal role. Yes, that was fun. And and, and 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 really considering that type of life. Yeah. Which she absolutely has the capacity for. Oh yeah. No that, doubt. And she showed that. She can she, do it all. But, she can literally do it all. So what I'm saying is, Scully has, like you said, an, an, an empathetic heart. Um, she has strong convictions. And even though she was faking it with Lauren, I was like, oh my gosh, if she actually does start to believe in this yeah, stuff. Get out, get out of here. Like, Mulder needs to even skewed over a little bit. <laughs> right, uh, right. You know, again, she is this... Well, her bedside manners much better right but it, it amazes me that you know listen you know at this point at least and i'm not downplaying at all Mulder no, as far as what he fantastic. can do Mulder does what he sets out to do but oftentimes you know Mulder also finds himself you know disheveled you know he he get he goes into Sherlock Holmes mode like he goes into just like you know the I'm just going to go and I'm just going to freaking do it. And I don't care really right. who I mow down in my, in my wake. I, including himself, you know, like. Including like, himself and people he cares about. Right. Yeah. Whereas. Solo would be like, hey, whoa, whoa. We're not okay here. It's much more focused. <laughs> it's it's much more focused when she when she goes all in. When Scully takes the step forward to engage a situation, like when she, when that guy, uh, when she took that dude hostage. That, yeah. That was working on the airbase. Oh man, get out of here! That was so cool. You know, yeah, and things like that. Like, like what I'm saying is, and we've not even seen all of it. No. What I'm saying is, I can't wait to get to the episode where she actually shoots Mulder. <laughs> I'm telling you, I know. Oh gosh, she's uh, and she's okay, it's just, yeah, yeah. I know. We've gone long enough. <laughs> I know. Uh, but I just was really impressed, and I just that scene I thought was really great, where she absolutely was like, "I know you don't believe, but." Man, even when you're faking it, you're convincing me. Yeah. And when you actually do grab a hold of this thing, 
yeah get ready You're right so but yeah that's good that's the episode so i enjoyed it I'll, we obviously could keep talking about it for hours yeah definitely <laughs> well that's why we got the podcast but accurate yeah we want to we want to respect you guys' time thanks for listening guys uh yes hope you of enjoy. course uh Brooke, why don't you tell them where they can find us? Alrighty, as if you, always. yes, if you're on Instagram, that's where we hang out mostly and kind of talk and uh, you know see what you guys are up to. We're at the Tape Store. We're also on TikTok by the same name. If you're on Twitter, we're the Tape Store Pod. And if you'd like to shoot us an email, we're the Tape Store Podcast at gmail.com. Yep. And as always, thank you for your time. It's limited and valuable, and we just appreciate you. You know, give us a shout out, please do. Uh, we just always love to hear from our listeners, guys. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week for more great 80s and 90s nostalgia on the Tape Store Podcast. We love going through the X-Files. This is Shadows, Season 1, Episode 6, and you've been with me, Toby. And me, Brooke. The truth is out there.